Thanks for listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, joined as always by my unparalleled co-host, Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how are you? You know, I always like to talk about the weather, Celeste. It was cold today. This is, uh, you know, first day of December. The temperature just dropped. I know. Happy December, everybody. Uh, could be worse, could be worse, has been worse, maybe will be worse. But for now, I think it's it's pretty decent. Uh, we're going to hang in there. Glad to be back with you today. Hope uh, everyone had a good holiday break, however you chose to observe it. Of course, lots in the news to think and talk about. Uh, big story in local and national politics that I've been looking at, Jeff. Of course, Brooklyn's own Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, chosen by acclamation to be House Democratic Speaker, excuse me, leader, there I go, in the next session. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, of course, rising in the ranks following the decision of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to step back. He will be the first black person to hold that leadership post in the next Congress. And the step up is being seen as something of a passing of the torch to a younger generation of leadership. Speaking at a news conference Wednesday, Jeffries, of course, suggested that the incoming Republican majority wouldn't last long. But in the meantime, he pledged to work across the aisle regardless. Here's just a bit of what he had to say. And we seek to find common ground whenever and wherever possible. And we hope that our colleagues on the other side of the aisle, as they temporarily inherit the majority in the next Congress, are willing to proceed with that same spirit of cooperation, fortitude, and mission-centered focus to get things done for everyday Americans. That will continue to be the democratic approach on behalf of everyday Americans. And I can tell you, for one, our listeners, we've uh, reached out in the past to get the congressman on. And Celeste and I will continue to reach out now, given this new role, to get him on this show because, well, Celeste and I can be relentless. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And Jeff, you were thinking about uh, some things uh, right here in the city, right? You were Something we were talking about a little bit earlier. Yeah, I have to tell you, one of the things I've just been, uh, I'll say, obsessed about because I... I've heard a variety of reactions to this. It's actually on the front page of the New York Times today, which is the mayor's announcement, which happened, what, two days ago now, mm-hmm. to uh, begin hospitaliz- hospitalizing, I never say that word, right? More homeless people by involuntarily providing care to those deemed to be in psychiatric crisis. And the mayor continues to face a backlash after moving forward with the host of uh, policy changes to crack down on the city's homeless population. Celeste, two things very quickly. The yeah. progressive caucus of the New York City Council came out with a strong statement today. They feel that the, the mayor's actions are short-sighted. They called it a short-sighted political stunt rather than a long-term solution. And then the city council speaker also expressed serious concerns, and she had noted that the band- pandemic – 
exacerbated existing challenges created by decades of disinvestment from mental health infrastructure. And of course, this is an issue I've been following. And you and I, Celeste, have talked with a number of guests about the provision of health care, the disproportionate impact COVID had on people of color and also people's access. So it's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Absolutely. And so while all of this is going on, to your point, Jeff, you know, we're going to be focusing today on kind of an intersection of, of a few of these different things here. Uh, today, December 1st is World AIDS Day. Observed for the first time in 1988, this is a day officially dedicated each December 1st to uniting to help end HIV and also to remember those who've been lost to AIDS-related illnesses. Of course, the effort to battle HIV is now also being waged in the midst of this ongoing global COVID pandemic. So according to the federal government, more than one million people in the United States have HIV, which is the virus that causes AIDS. About 13% of those people approximately do not know that they have the virus. And while HIV can affect anyone, certain populations are disproportionately affected. The National HIV AIDS Strategy is a federal roadmap for ending America's HIV epidemic by 2030. And it designates five of these priority populations, including Men who have sex with men, black women, trans women, young people between the ages of 13 and 24, and people who use injected drugs. The country and the city are in very, very different places now than in the earliest days of the HIV AIDS epidemic. Later on, we are going to open up the phone lines in the show so we can hear from you on this World AIDS Day. But first, just a quick reminder that to keep bringing New Yorkers these important conversations about our health, our public policy, how we live, WBAI needs your help. So please, please just take a few moments. This was Giving Tuesday week. Give today. I know it's Thursday, but Giving Tuesday really should be every day. Please go to WBAI.org today and pledge your support. Our BAI Buddy program makes it very, very easy to set up a monthly donation in any amount you choose. So by donating, you can help keep free speech radio alive. Go to WBAI.org and give today. And thank you. So our first guest today, as we uh, get together on this World AIDS Day, is going to help us decode a new report out just this week from the New York City Health Department on the state of the fight to defeat HIV. Sarah Bronstein is the Health Department's Assistant Commissioner of the Bureau of Hepatitis, HIV, and Sexually Transmitted Infections. Her responsibilities include overseeing testing initiatives, prevention, care, and treatment programming, epidemiology, and surveillance, community engagement, racial equity, and social justice initiatives, lots of things. A member of the Health Department since 2010, she's conducted domestic and international clinical studies and has more than 20 years of experience in the prevention and epidemiology of HIV and other sexually transmitted diseases. So uh, she has just presented also at the 7th Annual Ending the Epidemic Summit, which had a special focus this year on addressing HIV in the context of the ongoing COVID pandemic. And that's why we're really glad she's able to join us today to help us sort this all out. Sarah Bronstein, welcome to Driving Forces. Thanks so much. I'm really, really honored to be here today. 
Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And you can maybe help us sort this out because there's a lot of information in this new surveillance report. This is something that comes out annually. But we just wanted to start out, you know, this gives us an opportunity to look at numbers for 2021, which is the latest that we have uh, in this report, you know, and compare those to those in the past. And I just wanted to start out with this sort of bullet point here. And maybe you can take this apart for us a little bit. Uh, According to the report, it said uh, 1,590 four people were newly diagnosed with HIV in New York City in 2021, up 14% from 2020, but down 23% since 2017 and down 73% since 2001. Um, you know, what accounts for these these changes and, and how should we put this all in context? Sure. I think it's uh, it's important to start by really recognizing that last statistic that you cited, the down 73 percent since 2001. So in 2001 is the first year that the New York City Health Department and New York State Health Department began recording HIV diagnoses. These are diagnoses of of existing HIV infections. Um, And since that year, every year um, overall, we've seen a decline. So it's typical to see a year over year decline in new diagnoses, which really signals major progress, um, frankly, an acceleration of progress toward really um, ending the HIV epidemic and improving outcomes uh, for people living with HIV and protecting those who are vulnerable to HIV infection. Um, In 2021, we did see, as you cited, um, a one-year increase from 2020 of 14% in the number of new diagnoses. And that really is attributable to um, a lot of factors that, that changed um, during that period due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, an annual increase like this is atypical. Um, as I just, you know, stated for, for many years now, we've had a year-over-year decrease. Um, but it really also reflects a rebounding in 2021 following a steep drop during the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020 in new HIV diagnoses. And we, we attribute that to HIV testing services, for example, being less accessible, less available to New Yorkers. Um, you know, New Yorkers were, were recommended to actually avoid seeking in-person health care services for non-urgent health issues as, you know, we all focused and, and, and let the hospitals do their jobs to treat people um, affected by COVID-19. Um, you know, the, so the t- HIV testing numbers um, were sort of understandably down in 2020. Um, and so this number of new diagnoses in 2021 likely includes diagnoses among people who may have delayed seeking HIV testing during 2020 and then showed for testing in 2021. Sarah, it's great to have you on the show. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of my work uh, in my day job with a nonprofit alliance for positive change that, you know, had to adapt to be able to keep in touch and connect with their community amid the pandemic. And they were, you know, addressing a lot of these issues that you touched on, you know, including finding ways to be able to, you know, instead of having people come to them where they could get to people, what did, was it much harder during the pandemic to get care? And did it affect a number of community groups that work with the Department of Health to test or, or treat or support people with HIV? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, there were major, major changes in the healthcare system and, and access to the healthcare system utilization just broadly. And that certainly impacted um, HIV, STI, and sexual health care and services generally. Um, so, you know, we and our community partners made, you know, did had to do a lot of pivoting and shifting to be able to sustain um, our work to meet the HIV and sexual health needs of New Yorkers during that really challenging time, especially in 2020, but also into 2021. So, 
you know, we were very busy at the health department level providing technical assistance related to telehealth, telemedicine um, to our contracted providers and partners. Um, we released a number of provider and public-facing guidance documents related to COVID-19 and, and you know, maintenance of HIV and STI services. Uh, we provided to the public an online directories of providers who were offering HIV and STI testing services and other services. Um, we did a lot to sustain our work um, around the offer of free safer sex products to New Yorker, New Yorkers. Um, we actually uh, launched a new program for home delivery of those products. We also launched a community health, um, excuse me, community home test giveaway program to bring HIV testing to people at their homes um, who needed it. Um, so we really, a lot of our services were able to be sustained because of just um, creativity and, and flexibility um, and our close relationships with community partners who actually deliver these services. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. We're talking to Dr. Sarah Bronstein of the New York City Department of Health about the state of the fight against HIV, particularly in the midst of the global COVID-19 pandemic. And I wanted to ask you about another data point here. And this is something that we uh, have been hearing about for many years when we talk about uh, the prevalence of HIV in our community, in our country. Uh, there are still certain groups that are uh, sort of disparately impacted by this. And so one thing that I noticed in the report, it said that of all women newly diagnosed with HIV in 2021, 88% were black or Latina. And of all men newly diagnosed, 80% were black or Latino Hispanic. Can you talk a little bit about what accounts for these disparities and uh, how the Department of Health or other agencies or community groups can address that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I've been in this position a while and, and um, had the privilege of really reporting out on our data each year. Um, and while we there is lots of good news um, in our efforts to end the HIV epidemic to report out on each year, including this year, um, it is sobering each year to report that there are very persistent inequities in the distribution of, of HIV in New York City, particularly um, by race, ethnicity. So, um, absolutely, we see certain communities, black and brown New Yorkers in particular, um, being most heavily and very disproportionately impacted by HIV. Um, those statistics you cite are are pretty stable over the past years, um, and and frustratingly so, frankly. Um, you know, I think these these inequities that we see, particularly by race, ethnicity, and how HIV affects New Yorkers, um, absolutely reflect the uh, systemic um, you know oppression. Um, that certain groups face, including black and brown New Yorkers, racism, um, things like homophobia, transphobia, disenfranchisement generally, um, unequal and inequitable access to, to the healthcare system and to healthcare services, um, poverty. You know, these things are all upstream and just critically important drivers of how we all are able to achieve health and well-being, um, and these are, are really important barriers to these communities in particular, and we see it, in, um, you know, in our HIV data for sure. Um, so, you know, this is something, you know, these racial inequities um, and the impact on HIV is something that the health department and, and our team is, is concerned with and, in fact, um, has very much embedded an equity focus in our work and in uh, the guiding plan, our New York City uh, 2020 Ending the HIV epidemic, epidemic Plan, which was released uh, about a year and a half ago now, 
um, very much embeds an equity lens to all of our services and programming. So our services and programming are preferentially focused to reach um, black and brown New Yorkers um, who are most vulnerable to poor outcomes of HIV and to acquiring HIV in the first place. And Sarah Bronstein, just going back to something that you said a moment ago, I wanted to uh, look at this a little further. You know, in the early days of HIV, and I'm sure we all remember this, there was such a stigma associated with even talking about the virus, with acknowledging it, with seeking support for it, with getting tested. Do you think that has changed and how it has changed? And, And are there still certain communities in a diverse place like New York City where it's still not sort of normalized to have conversations about uh, sexually transmitted diseases, including HIV? Uh, Absolutely. I think stigma is unfortunately um, very much still present um, around HIV and other STIs, as you say, um, and around sex and sexuality and sexual health more generally. Um, I think we see that operating um, we, we, you know, we, for example, we see it in, in the provider community even, um, wherein, you know, certain providers, um, don't sort of as a matter of routine take a sexual history among their, their patients or address sexual health needs or sex and sexuality related issues. Um, so that's something that we've worked on, um, at the community level as well, um, that there are, there's stigma operating. We've done work over the years, um, through faith-based, um, community groups. Um, to to improve you know treatment and discussion of HIV and other sexual health issues in, in, in those avenues, um, I think you know stigma certainly is something that is alive and well. And I think as a health department over the years, we've really um, I think inspiringly um, and importantly evolved our sexual health messaging to be more and more sex positive and and forward looking um, and just real about these issues that affect all people. Um, in different ways, um, and that they should be things that are talked about and people should be able to be self-actualized to address their health needs um, in whatever way they need to. So I think, you know, certainly our messaging around this as the health department has been exciting and um, really cutting edge in recent years. So, Sarah, um, given what the uh, COVID pandemic had done to affect re- reporting of HIV cases, what do you expect we're going to see in the 2022 or and looking ahead, the 2023 surveillance reports? Do you expect the numbers to drop again once COVID is hopefully more under control? Yeah, I think it's it's always difficult uh, these days, especially uh, just given these disruptions um, to, you know, really forecast. However, you know, we have seen, we've, we've looked, for example, um, at positive HIV tests that are reportable to the New York City surveillance system, um, just to get a sense, uh, not we don't receive HIV negative tests, just positive ones in the surveillance system. So it gives us a partial, but nonetheless informative picture um, of what's going on around HIV testing, for example. And and we did see that despite you know big drops um, in the spring of 2020 when people just really weren't seeking HIV testing services, we saw that rebounding begin. Um, in May of 2020, and then kind of continue through the the rest of 2020, although not at the levels um, from the previous year, but into 2021, um, we did see uh, an increasing sort of rebounding of those testing levels. So I think to me, that gives us a a sign that um, people were seeking testing services again, and that hopefully um, people who needed those services but didn't get them 
2020, we're really able to get them in 2021, and that I hope and and expect we'll see a stabilization um, of some of our metrics like like HIV diagnoses and a sort of a return to the to the longstanding trends that we saw leading up to 2020 and 2021. And and then finally, as as we uh, come to a close here for now, although we could certainly talk about this a lot more, and I, I wish we could, uh, any thoughts for people uh, who do have uh, HIV or uh, AIDS-related uh, conditions uh, about where they can get support, treatment, um, things they should be thinking about, particularly, again, in the midst of a COVID pandemic, which complicates everything? Sure. Um, well, from the health department perspective, um, our sexual health clinics um, are really destinations for uh, holistic, comprehensive sexual health services. Um, we offer low to no-cost services um, for anyone who's 12 years and older. Um, they're walk-in services. They're offered regardless of immigration status. No parental consent is necessary. Um, and excitingly, um, just in October of this year, um, we announced expanded services um, at our sexual health clinics. Um, including the launch of the Fort Greene Express Clinic, uh, which does rapid testing for STIs, um, and our, the reopening of our Corona Sexual Health Clinic in Queens um, and additional services there. So I would point people to the, to the Health Department Sexual Health Clinics as a wonderful resource for high-quality and accessible services. Um, there, you know, we, we also offer, uh, there are a range of other uh, programs that we offer for people living with HIV. Uh, for example, the Positive Life Workshop provides peer-led workshops that support people living with HIV to HIV to adhere to medications and see their provider regularly. Um, we also fund a range of providers around the city uh, to deliver Ryan White Part A services, and those are for income-eligible people with HIV, um, a range of services, not just HIV-related, but supportive services like food and nutrition services, legal services, housing assistance. Um, so that's a really important resource. And um, all these, you know, these... Uh, care and related services programs um, can be found on, on the website, including the health department's website. Um, lots and lots of support out there for people living with or, or vulnerable to HIV. And Sarah, before we let you go, what is that website? Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your work if they've got questions about HIV testing and support? Sure. Um, I would say I would send folks to the nyc.gov slash health website. Um, and then from there, you can uh, search for HIV or STIs, um, and it will lead you to um, various pages where we have information about HIV and STI services that we provide or support. Sarah Bronstein, the Health Department's Assistant Commissioner of the Bureau of Hepatitis, HIV, and Sexually Transmitted Infections. Thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI this afternoon. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Today is World AIDS Day. We just spoke to Sarah Bronstein of the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene about the latest HIV surveillance report, which gives us insight into how the COVID-19 pandemic may or may not be affecting reporting, testing, treatment, and so on. A little 
little later in the program, we are going to open up the phone lines, so please stay tuned for that. And we have another great guest coming up in just a moment. But please, another very quick reminder, if you care about New York, if you care about free speech radio, if it means something to you to have a radio station that has these very candid conversations about the health and well-being of our city, please take a moment this holiday season to go to WBAI.org and lend your support. This is non-corporate, non-commercial WBAI. That You don't hear ads on here. You hear promotions for other shows, but you're not hearing commercials from like Apple or Microsoft. So help us keep it that way. Go to WBAI.org today. Become a BAI buddy in the name of your favorite show. And yes, it can be uh, on behalf of this show, Driving Forces, or one of our other many great programs on politics, public policy, culture, the arts, or music from around the world. It only takes a minute to support free speech community radio. So go to WBAI.org today and give as much as you can to keep us on the air. Now, as we come up to the end of 2022, if you can believe that, here's an important point. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means your gift to this radio station is tax deductible. Go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. You can help us keep this station going and bring you these important, timely conversations and get yourself a tax break. WBAI.org. It costs us $17,000 a month to pay the rent on our broadcast tower at four times square, $17,000 a month. We don't take big checks from big corporations. We rely on real New Yorkers just like you to protect free speech radio. So head to WBAI.org. Give any amount that you can. You can give one time or even better. As we keep noting, you could become a BAI buddy and help us every month with just a click of your mouse. So most of us, at this station, like Celeste and I, we are volunteers. We give our time to the station because we believe that New York needs and deserves independent free speech radio. You can do your part by going to WBAI.org and lending a hand today. Once again, that's WBAI.org. And if you like what you're hearing on Driving Forces, if you think it's important to have a radio station that takes on the big topics and goes behind the headlines, Become a BAI buddy. Again, it's just a few moments of your time. Head to WBAI.org and you can set up a recurring donation in the name of this show, which of course will make Celeste very, very happy, me as well, or any other show. Absolutely. That is absolutely true. Your help keeps WBAI, the kind of vibrant community radio New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. Please become a WBAI buddy today. Help keep our signal on the air and thanks. So we're going to get to our next guest in just a moment. You are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Jeff Simmons, joined as always by the amazing Celeste Katz-Marston. If you are just tuning in, today is World AIDS Day, and we're talking about the state of New York's continuing efforts to end the HIV epidemic while also battling the ongoing COVID pandemic. And our guest, our next guest knows a lot about both. Gabriel San Emeterio is a social worker, activist, immigrant, and co-founder of the Network for Long COVID Justice. Gabriel, thank you so much for joining Celeste and me here on WBAI this afternoon. Hi, Jeff and Celeste. Thank you for having me. So I purpose. 
I purposely only just gave a thumbnail of your interesting background because we want to hear more from you. Tell Celeste and me and our listeners a little more about who you are and your activism to set the stage for our listeners on this World AIDS Day. Well, I was born and raised in Mexico City. I migrated to the U.S., to New York in particular, 23 years ago. And um, I'm a person living with HIV and with other complex chronic conditions, such as myalgic encephalomyelitis, otherwise known as chronic fatigue syndrome, MECFS, uh, fibromyalgia, and other things. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a social worker by training, and I, I went to Hunter College. I teach there, too, policy. And uh, my activism currently centers around, I mean, for a long time I've been doing HIV activism, but uh, as of lately... <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I've been uh, working with people with long COVID because half of the people, at least half of the people who have long COVID have a presentation of it that is like myalgic encephalomyelitis, which has been um, uh, neglected by institutions, the government, uh, under-researched, underfunded, and currently there are no FDA-approved treatments for myalgic encephalomyelitis, so... We're, we're pretty abandoned in that front. So, Gabriel, thank you so much for being with us today. I was really looking forward to hearing from you. And as a matter of fact, as you and I were talking about just right before the program, your activism was literally in action today, like right now. Tell us about what are you up to in, in Washington? That's right. I came down to uh, Washington, D.C. We were protesting um, uh, Congress and Biden for their inaction you know, to end colliding pandemics because people with HIV, living with HIV, uh, we're at higher risk of developing long, long COVID. And we just had the Mpox nightmare. Um, we COVID is ongoing, you know, uh, people are still dying of AIDS. And, you know, uh, the, the, the fact that uh, the president declared falsely that um, the pandemic is over, a little while ago, and then today, tonight, they're having the first state uh, dinner visit with uh, President Macron, sort of signaling that, you know, it's the first state visit since since the pandemic began, the COVID-19 pandemic began. So it's a sort of signaling this return to normal, which uh, many of us have no investment in going back to because people with chronic illness, people with disabilities, we just don't have a normal that we ever desire to go back to. And Gabriel Sanamaterio, you said uh, in a recent interview that I found very interesting, you said people with long COVID aren't getting enough attention that they've been, uh, quote unquote, absent from the narratives. And uh, obviously, that would include people who are living with HIV. Uh, how do you think that's going to change? Is that going to change? We can have a conversation like this, which I think is important. But um, do you think that more attention will be paid to people with long COVID or will it just sort of fade out of people's consciousness? I hope it doesn't stay out of, stay out of people's consciousness. Uh, we're, we're working very hard to uh, keep it centered in the narrative of COVID. I mean, it's politically inconvenient. So mainstream media has mostly focused on this binary of death or full recovery, but there's a lot that falls in between, right? Um, it's also convenient to say that vaccines and treatment are available. Therefore, go ahead, live your life and get sick. You'll be fine. 
which is not true. I'm not anti-vaxxer. I am fully vaccinated and boosted. And yet when they dropped mask mandates and I had to ride, you know, public transport that was crowded uh, with people not wearing face coverings, I contracted COVID, which then, despite having treatment with Paxlovid, my myalgic encephalomyelitis got worse. So I think that it's very important and that's the work that we're doing at Long COVID Justice and Strategies for High Impact is bringing that narrative in and raising and lifting up the voices of people with long COVID um, so that uh, not just the general public, but also elected officials are aware that this is a mass disabling event. I mean, you know, long COVID has many presentations. It's an umbrella term that covers hundreds of symptoms, some of them disabling, and many of them are uh, deadly. Um, and therefore, we we really need to be paying attention, you know, and, and maintaining um, COVID mitigation measures at the forefront because every COVID infection can result in long COVID, even if it's mild or asymptomatic. So to just abandon all prevention measures and give uh, carte blanche to, for people to go out and get sick, it's really irresponsible and it's going to result in many more people becoming disabled uh, in the future, aside from everybody who's already suffering from some form of long COVID. If you just tuned in, you're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces with Jeff Simmons, that's me, and Celeste Katz-Marston, that's my colleague. Our guest is Gabrielle San Emeterio, a social worker and activist who's joining us to talk about the dual challenges of HIV and COVID. Gabrielle, you've also talked about the importance of having people who are living with HIV and long COVID participating in research to document the effects on the human body. I'd love for our listeners to know more about that, particularly if they want to get involved in something like that. Yeah, well, it's something that we've been trying to, I mean, it's it's a model that's proven um, effective in HIV, right? To have meaningful involvement of the people who are affected, both in designing research and strategies for prevention, uh, as well as uh, strategies to support people once they are affected by the illness. And, well, long COVID, they keep treating it as though it's something new, but post-viral illness isn't that new. I mean, we have, we've had myalgic encephalomyelitis, MECFS for years. It's just been ignored. And we saw, um, we saw that something was coming when, uh, COVID was sort of announced on the other side of the world. And there was this, the potential that it may be coming this way, you know, but it was only going to affect disabled people or people with pre-existing conditions. So the disability community, the HIV community, we raised the alarm because it was clear since then that our life had become expendable, right? There was like everybody else didn't have to, need not worry. Uh, only these people are at high risk. And then, you know, we had massive amounts of death and disability. Um, so... Right now, research has mostly been focused on things that can objectively be measured, is my understanding, you know, because in the beginning, we were told that COVID was a respiratory illness. So a lot of respiratory and, cardio and, and cardiovascular um, have gotten the money for research. 
but we're seeing that COVID is uh, a systemic, uh, can cause systemic problems. And um, I mean, we're, we're fighting for uh, better implementation of research and for more involvement of, of patients in it. But, you know, there's, there's not that much funding. And the little bit of funding that they recently announced, I think it was like $750 million, barely uh, is going to scratch the surface of what long COVID is doing, um, you know, to our communities. Gabriel San Amatero is the uh, is an activist, a social worker, and the co-founder of uh, the Network for Long COVID Justice. And Gabriel, again, going back to uh, some things that I've seen that you've discussed, you've had some interesting things to say about uh, your, you know, how your perspective as an immigrant has sort of shaped your your work and your views on this. And you made a very interesting point in one of your interviews about vaccination and citizenship. Basically, you have to have all these vaccines and health checks to become a citizen. But a lot of uh, U.S. citizens, you know, other Americans are also sort of politicizing or refusing vaccinations and taking measures to control the spread of COVID. I'd be interested to hear more from you about how you view that disconnect as an immigrant and as someone who's living with HIV and uh, the after effects of COVID. Well, yeah, um, when I became a citizen, well, when I got my green card, back then there was even a ban on people with HIV. They couldn't come into the country, neither to, neither as tourists nor as immigrants, unless they came under some protected status. I was HIV negative at the time, but I still had to undergo a health check and prove that I had all my vaccinations, um, in order to be granted uh, permanent residency and then get my citizenship. So I find it really interesting how immigrants and outsiders are perceived as a threat and must undergo all these health checks and receive all vaccinations, while citizens um, are not uh, even required to keep uh, all their vaccinations in order when we know that this is these are community health measures, right? It's like we're only as healthy as our neighbor is. It, this idea that what's happening also around, uh, like on the other side of the world, is not going to affect us and to let things like Mpox, which has been endemic, or Ebola, uh, which has been endemic for decades in Africa, and now in Haiti we have an outbreak of... Um, um, you know, gastrointestinal disease. I'm sorry, my my brain sometimes goes, and I'm a little tired from the action today. But to to just not have the solidarity with the world as a prosperous nation, and to look just inward and allow people to not care for themselves and others, uh, just allows it, it to uh, for disease to spread. You know, like we had eradicated polio, and recently. There were high levels of polio in New York City's wastewater. So things that we thought we had been passed because of vaccinations are now coming back because of this refusal and this politicization of vaccination. So, Gabriel, I know we only have about two minutes left, you know, and something you mentioned before about how you then got COVID, you were on mass transit. I feel like you and I would be the only two people in a subway car who are keeping our masks on because I continue to do that when I'm on the subway here. Do you think that we're seeing 
that we're seeing so many people be less stringent about taking COVID precautions, whether it's masking or getting boosters. How concerned are you about that? And do you think that's going to change? Uh, I feel a little bleak about that. I, I would, I hope that, uh, people sort of wake up and, and realize that with this new wave of hospitalizations rising, that it's not just COVID that, uh, we're protecting ourselves with, uh, with masks, but it's also the flu and RSV and other respiratory illnesses that are more likely to happen in crowded settings, especially like, um, during the winter. So maybe, hopefully, masks can come back as something that's depoliticized and more as a community health uh, response that maybe can ebb and flow depending on how, um, you know, we need to be in, in crowded situations indoors, like public transportation. And Gabriel, uh, before we let you go, and we can certainly direct people to find out more about about you and your work through uh, Long COVID Justice uh, website. Um, but any Thank final you. thoughts or words of advice for people who might be struggling with their health, who might be having some of the same experiences that you're having with HIV, with Long COVID, or maybe are supporting or caring for someone who is. Oh, definitely. If you go to the network for Long COVID Justice, we have five groups that are support groups or advocacy groups. And so I would recommend definitely find community. It's very difficult to live with complex chronic illness or be taking care of somebody with complex chronic illness in a society that doesn't really care for people with disabilities or doesn't really understand complex chronic illness. So you need uh, community and people who know what you're going through to really support you and give you advice and guide you because they've been through it. Uh, so I would say I would really recommend looking at the different groups that uh, form our um, strategy circle because I've been community has been everything for me and it's really gotten me through and helped me manage my disease when uh, when many doctors just don't know anything about it. Gabriel San Emeterio, thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org streaming live. Now it's that time, time for you, our listeners, to weigh in. Call the number 212-209-2877. Once again, that number. 2122092877 Do you think American democracy is on the brink? Are you worried about political violence? Do you have confidence in our election system? What do you uh, have to say about what our two guests said about HIV and AIDS on this World AIDS Day? What is on your mind? 2122092877 is our studio line. 2122092877 please give us a call at that number, 212-209-2877. We will be right back to hear from you. I want to thank you because you made me that much stronger.
Christina Aguilera here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with the great Jeff Simmons. It is officially now time for you to talk. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What are you thinking about on this World AIDS Day? Do you remember the early days of the HIV epidemic, and do you think we're really making progress or not? Do you think the city is doing enough? What would you like to see to finally end the HIV epidemic? And how much harder do you think that is in the midst of a COVID pandemic? 212-209-2877. We had a few guests on earlier, Sarah Bronstein of the New York City Health Department and Gabriel San Emeterio, uh, somebody who is living with uh, HIV, long COVID, is an activist, a social worker, and somebody who thinks that people should be taking more precautions to this day to protect themselves and the vulnerable around them. 212-209-2877. We're going to go to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? My name is Denise. I'm calling from Brooklyn. What's on your mind, Denise? I want to make a suggestion. When you have guests on, you might want to open the line so that the guests can also interact with the general public. It might make for a much more interesting dialogue bringing more dimensions and what have you. Uh, I'm going to get off because the time is very limited for uh, the listeners to call in. No need to give me a response. That's just a suggestion. I'm going to let the next person go now. Thank you so much. Denise, thank, thank you very much for calling in. In fact, that is something I miss, and one of the reasons we haven't done that as much, and Celeste and I were talking about doing this next week with a potential guest, is when we were in studio, it was so much easier to be able to you know, not step on each other and speak over each other when, you know, Celeste and I, since COVID began and we had a shutdown in New York City, have been in two different locations, the engineers in a third location. So we try to communicate, like even via um, FaceTime to point to each other so we don't step on each other. But no, Denise, you are right. That is something we try to do whenever we can. And we often will ask elected officials if they're coming on, we'd like you to take a few listener calls. We find a number of them are not as keen on that as we would like. But we've also, as Celeste is going to interrupt me here, we also have had a few that have said, bring it on. We'll take as many calls as you want. Yeah, and I think that really makes for a great segment. It's great radio. People get to interact. So definitely a good suggestion. We do have people who are willing to do that. And for any elected officials who are out there who are listening to the program, and I know you are out there, when you come on the show next, be willing to take calls. You have now officially heard it from the listening public. People want to interact with you. And what I'm forgetting, I'm totally forgetting his last name, and anyone from the Department of Health who's listening is going to know who I'm talking about. Before the pandemic hit, that World AIDS Day, uh, what, three months before we shut down, uh, I had in Dimitri from the Department of Health in studio with me on World AIDS Day to take listener calls, and that was just very enlightening. I try to do that as much as possible. So I know, you know, I agree with you, Denise. I, I miss doing that. We want to do more of that. Absolutely. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. This is your chance to say what's on your mind. Do you have somebody that you're remembering on this occasion? Are you yourself dealing with HIV, long COVID, both? We are, uh, we are here ready for your calls. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Do you think we should go back to masking? Do you think we should go back to requiring masks in public places or do you think things are okay the way they are? Are you still worried about getting COVID? Do you care? 
if you get COVID or do you not even care anymore because the, uh, the effects of, of, uh, the, the virus might be diminished by vaccination, by boosters, by, uh, therapeutics. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. And while we're waiting to hear from you, just another reminder, of course, that to keep bringing you these conversations, these guests that talk about the way we're living, the policies that affect our lives, our public policy, our politics, our elections. We need your help. So please do take a few moments today. Go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you can to support this radio station. You can become a BAI buddy in the name of this show, Driving Forces, or that other show that Jeff does, whatever, (laughs) City Watch, whatever. But you can set up very, very easily, very, very quickly, a recurring donation to help keep free speech radio alive in New York. That's WBAI.org. And remember, we are a 501c3 nonprofit that makes your gift tax deductible. We are almost at the end of 2022, believe it or not. Uh, shockingly or thankfully, whatever whatever you think of it. So help WBAI and get a break on your taxes. Go to WBAI.org today to help. And remember the number again, 212-209-2877. I don't know. Has everyone checked out for the holidays already? It's only December 1st, Jeff. No, one thing I did want to mention, because we talked about this a little earlier in the show, was about the equity issue, yeah. access issues. Um, I don't know if uh, you had a chance. I just like quickly uh, searched to see if there were any announcements while we were on air. And I, I missed this a little earlier that uh, the president's administration, the Biden administration, announced a new strategy to end the HIV and AIDS pandemic as a public health threat by 2030. Mm-hmm. And it was a five-year plan, Celeste, that'll focus on, this is what's interesting, focus on collaboration and fighting the disease, addressing equity issues with the stigma and discrimination around HIV and strengthening public health initiatives. Right, which is exactly what we're talking about. And yeah, look, I think that, I think that Sarah Bronstein, uh, of the city health department was right. Yeah, there is still a stigma. I think we can talk about having sex education in schools, talking about, uh, practicing safe sex, talk about getting testing, uh, all these things. But I think in, in a lot of communities, there, this is still not something that is talked about enough, if it's talked about at all. So just a, a public surface message there. Uh, there are lots of places and you can find those on uh, nyc.gov among other things oh i think we're going to jump to the phones we have just a few moments so we're going to do this real quick please keep it brief wbai you're on the air thanks for calling what's your name hi good afternoon um i just wanted to say that i think that the mayor needs to pass an ordinance that people need to um wear masks on the trains and on the buses and that he needs to send the police out to enforce that, and I'd also just like to say really quickly that New York City and no one, no one was locked down. The only people who are locked down anywhere are incarcerated people. Thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Really appreciate it. An interesting idea, sending the police out to enforce. But what about self-enforcement? What if people just voluntarily went back, especially in the colder months as we're indoors, holidays coming up? Jeff, I don't I don't know what you think. Maybe the next caller has an idea about that. Okay, we're going to get to the call. I'll just say the silver lining for me in the winter of wearing a mask when I go outside was that my lips didn't freeze. Okay, <laughs> let's get to let's get to the final call of the of the night. Uh, welcome to WBAI. We have to wrap in about a minute or so. So what's your name and what's on your mind? You're on the air. Hi. Hello? Yep, we can hear you. You've got about a minute left. Hi, what's your hi. name and what's so on your mind? Doreen. I'm, hi, I'm just calling and, and, and 
observance of World AIDS Day. I lost my sister to AIDS at the age of 25 years old. She was, that was 28 years ago. And I want to just uh, acknowledge with gratitude that the vaccinations and all the treatments that come up has come and eradicated, largely eradicated the AIDS virus. And uh, remember all the people we lost during that difficult time. And my sister's name is Andrea Catanio, and she was a beautiful young woman. And um, I just wanted to remember her on this day. Thank you so much, Doreen, for your call. I'm really glad that you called in. And uh, for everybody who's thinking of Andrea or people like Andrea, this is this is the day, World AIDS Day, to remember those people and to think about what we can do to uh, to prevent those deaths and to support people who are living with HIV. We want to thank our special guests today, Sarah Bronstein of the New York City Health Department and Gabriel San Amaterio of the Network for Long COVID Justice. Thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, and to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. Jeff, what is on tap for uh, next programs coming up? Well, first, I want to mention uh, tomorrow in this time slot, Ben Max will be here, and he'll be engaging in a long, in-depth talk with Queens Democratic Assembly member Ron Kim. Remember, he had that big public squabble with Andrew Cuomo. He's going to Max. Uh, ben Max is going to talk with him about how Democrats should work to win back Asian voters that have been moving to the Republican Party in recent New York elections. I will be back this Sunday on City Watch at 10 a.m. I'll be talking about two books, a focus on Yiddish New York with Matel Didner, artistic uh, associate artistic director at the National Yiddish Theater, folks being about his new book. 15-minute Yiddish, more or less. And then I'll be joined by two family members from the Zabar family to talk about the new book, Zabar's A Family Story with Recipes. Now, I'm not going to go through the recipes. you got to read the book. There's a good one on borscht. <laughs> and so so perhaps you will pick up some Yiddish if you listen, Celeste, and I'll give you one. Adank, Celeste. Ah. <laughs> uh. I appreciate it. I have, to, I have to like brush up on my Yiddish. Such a Shonda. Um, if you missed any part of the show, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple SoundCloud or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.